Welcome Lex, the Lexicon artist, to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. Lex is an Oakland-based rapper who created this project to channel her self-repression, neurotic ambition, and delusions of grandeur into something that could be shared on the stage instead. Tonight we'll go deep into her raging ego and get to know Lex better, and later she'll play a set of music. Please welcome to the program, Lex, the Lexicon artist. Welcome. Thank you very much, Jim and Tom. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, I just, just so everybody knows, and they will after they listen to this episode, but uh, that was not my editorializing, saying you have a raging ego. This nope. is the name of an album, yep. which we will get to soon. Uh, we're going to start off with just a hardball, because I feel like you can handle a hardball. I can handle yourself. a hardball. You can handle a hardball. I can ball. handle the hardest of balls. Well, here's the hardest of balls that I am going to toss your way. Um, you describe yourself as uh, ugly and real, or at least the music that you make is ugly and real. Yeah. And... You say that you put things in your songs that everyone else is too afraid to say. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you say that you think people are most afraid of saying themselves? I think ego is one of the big things. Uh, I think a lot of artists have delusions of grandeur and ego, and they think really highly of themselves. But for some reason, they feel like it's not uh, socially acceptable to be very public about um that the level of ego they have. And so they pretend that they're humble. I just don't bother with that. I'm just extremely honest. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You use this phrase delusions of grandeur. And I wonder like, do you really feel like your dreams are delusions of grandeur? Or do you feel like that you frame it that way because of maybe how society is? Uh, this is still an, uh, a question that I struggle to answer every single day, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't really know if my dreams are delusional, uh, what I do know is that sometimes I experience these kind of waves of like feeling better than everyone else. And I'm like, wow, I'm amazing. And I'm aware that like that is sometimes a symptom of narcissistic personality disorder or uh, symptoms of like bipolar disorder. I don't I haven't been diagnosed with any of these things, but yeah. sometimes I get these like waves of like, oh, wow. I'm doing really well, and I think I'm going to take over the world. And then other days, I will feel really bad about myself and be like, you know, I, uh, uh, I am feeling really bad and feel like I don't think I'll go anywhere. So I kind of go between those so two you states. You have your highs sometimes. and your lows. Don't, yeah. don't you think that a lot of people, that, that almost is the human condition, I think, sometimes? Yeah, totally. But I think it's more pronounced in artists. Absolutely. That and that is like kind of why I wrote the song Artist Anthem, because it's something that I see in a lot of my artist friends. I write a lot of songs that are based on the experience of an artist. And so you can kind of say that I'm a rapper's rapper or I am an artist's artist, which is one of the reasons I name myself the lexicon artist. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder, though, like hmm. it must be interesting having those extremes because like he said we all have them but it's yeah. like it's it's really fascinating to like i'm the king of the world mm -hmm. wait actually no i'm the worst yeah but i'm the king of the world and uh, but then i'm actually the worst and sometimes bouncing back and forth between that multiple times in a day and uh, and you really do uh, explore that in some of your songs absolutely before we get to that though did you grow up in taiwan i did grow up in taiwan do you feel like that experience, like the culture shift from growing up in Taiwan and now you live in Oakland, mm -hmm. helped you to maybe recognize these things inside yourself or maybe even reinforce those things? Oh, absolutely. How, how so? Because this, oh, this, yeah. this is not like an outline question. I'm actually legitimately curious because life is much different there than it is here. And I can actually use this as a framing to uh, better answer your earlier question, which is what are these like things that are uncomfortable for society that I, I, I'm writing about? Yeah. Um, Every time I go back to Taiwan, I feel like it, it, it feels more foreign to me every single time I go back because I spend so much time here in the U.S. Like I live in uh, California, you know, Oakland, Bay Area, but I also have visited many different places in, in the U.S. And I think uh, one of the main things that is emphasized here in the U.S. as opposed to uh, in Asia is this idea of individualism. And this is like a common thing that comes up in psychology and, you know, social psychology classes. Uh, I was a psych major 
is like one of my songs. Um, At UC Berkeley, you're not saying it, I am. <laughs> yep. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that comes up is individualism versus uh, uh, collectivism. So uh, in East Asia, Taiwan, China, Jap- Jap- Japan, uh, Korea, um, like collectivism is big. And what I mean by collectivism is people feel like they need to all be the same and they need to not deviate from looking normal, sounding normal, and uh, acting normal. And uh, it is more important to be part of the group than to like have your own individual quirks. And so my experience growing up in that kind of culture and having interests that were different from other people, liking music that was different, you know, having hobbies that were different, um, people around me didn't really uh, seem like people that I could relate to as much just because uh, they were much more collectivist. And I feel that every single time I go back home and whenever I, whenever I come back here, I feel like I'm able to express my individualism a lot more. It's like you're living in the world uh, at large in a manic state going from one swing to another it feels like you're going from collective to individual from collective to individual what does that do to the psyche huh that's whoa we're getting really deep here i it it honestly is a big shift and i really experienced it when i went home last year um i go home about every year it used to be about twice every year are your parents still there yeah Yeah. my parents are still there um you know they they have a uh, we have like a family home there and most of my family is still there i do have one brother who lives on the east coast um but i'm I, i don't have any family in california i'm actually here just because i went to school here and i ended up continuing to live here so yeah my family still lives in taiwan and every time i go back to visit um, I, I noticed just like messaging, media, uh, advertisements everywhere. It, it, it encourages people to look a certain way and act a certain way. And it's really hard to explain just by telling you. You really have to experience it for yourself by visiting places like Tokyo or Taipei or Seoul. And you can really see how people want to achieve a certain norm. As opposed to in the U.S., a lot of people are, you know, um, looking to make something of themselves and, you know, caring a lot about something that they can make out of themselves and like being an individual. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, like, yeah. oh, I want to be a star or I want to yeah. be a basketball player. Well, there, there, there goes the raging ego. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, well, and that is exactly that individual <laughs> ego is 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 individual at its height. I think exactly, and so the contrast moving between those, I think, is um, even though Taiwan is the place I grew up, it um, it feels l- less like a place where I can express myself every year. So, how would Raging Ego go over in in uh, Taiwan? Are you gonna br- do you bring your music home with you? I haven't yet. Um, I've never performed live. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to kind of add on to that question, what does your family think of this project? And are they able to fully appreciate the messaging of the songs? That's such a hard question. I have the answer for it, but it's hard. (laughs) And I think I can tell you that they are very supportive of whatever I want to do. Um, You know the stereotype of the Asian tiger parents that force you to do stuff that you don't want to do, right? Are you familiar with that stereotype? I mean, you can explain it to those who aren't, but sure, yeah. I can. Um, so, like, there's like Asian tiger moms or Asian tiger dads or whatever. It's like a common um, kind of trope in media where we're talking about Asian people, where it's like, uh, why aren't you a doctor or a lawyer or a, or an engineer? Like, they have really, really strict, rigid standards for what they want their children to be, and they force their kids to do exactly what they want them to do. Um, I will not say that my parents are like that at all. My parents have been very flex very um, okay with you know letting me do pretty much whatever I wanted to do as long as I was happy as long as I you know enjoyed what I was doing and they've always been extremely supportive so I'm very happy for that however I will clarify that my parents speak English very well um, but I do rap very fast and I do use a lot of big words because I'm the lexicon artist you are the lexicon <laughs> and so I will say that I I am not sure. I won't. I, I. I won't say completely not, but I am not sure if they um, have fully understood or grasped kind of um, 
the deeper nuances that I put into my music. Um, and I'm not really sure if they, you know, uh, ever will just because there is a little bit of a cultural barrier. But again, I'm speaking for them and it's very likely that they maybe can understand. But I've always grown up in this experience of feeling like my parents never really understood me. And I've matured since then and I realized that they understand me a lot better than I think they do. Yeah. So chances are they probably understand my music more. But uh, I've sometimes a lot of the time I need to, I, I feel the need to explain um, how I'm being successful. Like, look, I put out an album. Look, I'm going on tour. Look, I'm, I'm at South by Southwest. And like sometimes I worry that they they aren't able to appreciate like how what, what big uh, how big these steps are. And I, that makes me very anxious because I want to make them proud. I truly do. I really, really want them to be proud of me and I want them to love what I do and to love what I love doing. Have, but, they, have they seen you perform? No, they haven't, no, actually. Yeah. yeah. We'll send them the link from tonight. I wonder what they think of you essentially kind of refuting the place that you grew up and the society that you lived in because that didn't fit. You didn't feel right in a collectivist society. The thing, Yeah, the thing about that is I don't refute Taiwanese culture. There are a lot of things about Taiwanese well, for and you, Asian though, culture. For you, though, is what I mean. I don't mean that you're, you're like... Are you talking about the individualism? I'm talking about you basically grew up in this culture right. and that was not for you. It's not you like making a political statement about uh, Taiwan or, or anything like that. It's just basically you grew up there, you felt out of place, yeah. and now... You, your songs are, are kind of anti-collectivist, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's a, that's a refutation of an aspect of that culture. So True. I was just curious if you thought they had any thoughts on that. I don't know if they do or if they don't. What I do know is that my mom texted me a photo um, from uh, from like, you know, years ago, 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago uh, of me as a kid. And she said, in this photo, it doesn't look like you have a raging ego. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that. And so I think she doesn't really believe that I have a raging ego. And um, But she I, knows you're a tantrum thrower. Yeah. <laughs> she knows she knows that. And she knows that like we didn't used to get along very well um, when I was younger. But as I grew up, I started to understand, you know, what my parents really wanted for, for me. And to I guess to answer your question, um, I think she uh, I think my parents may not fully understand I guess, um, uh, I, I don't, maybe not, f not fully understand, but like, um, sometimes I feel like, how do I put this? I have an aspect of my personality that maybe they haven't come to terms with, or maybe they always see me as, you know, their little girl. So they haven't, you know, come to terms with the fact or admitted the fact that I also have these parts of to my personality. I don't think that they they feel like I'm refuting Taiwanese culture because I'm only refuting that part of it. Yeah, and that's, there are other just parts to be of clear, it. that's yeah, what I meant. Exactly. Yeah. There are other parts of it that I like value a lot, like, you know, the importance of family, like, you know, filial piety, um, feeling like responsibility towards yourself and others, like, and even parts of collectivism, like, you know, feeling responsible oh, towards gosh. your community. Like, I truly like value that and I feel like I um, I wouldn't have turn out to be I think a well-rounded person if I didn't grow up in a culture that valued that and like valued respecting your elders things like that so um those parts I don't refute it's only that part where I feel like everyone's trying to be the same that I refute do you feel like this project has caused any of these negative things in you these supposedly negative things in you to change or do you feel like you you address them you talk about them and they they just remain um, I feel like I've become a lot more honest with my emotions since I've started doing this. And I had a, a lot of trouble being honest with what I felt and what I wanted um, before I started rapping and before I started writing my own original songs. Uh, that is also a part of Asian culture where we're not really encouraged to express our emotions. And so I grew up being pretty emotionally repressed and not really knowing how to um, express them to others, like express them to like boys I liked or like my friends, you know, or like really value, um, uh, or, or really acknowledge my own value and really, uh, you know, prioritize the way I felt. And, uh, I wrote a song called the L word. I wrote oh, like, just going to ask you about that song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote a song about that. I was like, I'm not good at expressing emotions, but then I had this experience and now I'm like better at doing this. 
we can skip ahead to talk about that song because we kind of there's kind of a, a chronological thing I want to do with the album. But let's let's jump sure, to sure. the L word. I have an even harder ball question for you. It's it's even harder than the original hard. Are okay. You ready? Here we go. All right. So uh, you talk about and reference how you don't like to say the word love. Yeah. It seems like you've moved past that. I have moved past that. What do you think it was about that word that you didn't like to say? I thought it was cheesy, probably. And I thought it was overused. I thought it was trite. And it just has such a weighted, loaded meaning to it. And like it still does now, but I think I'm more comfortable with weighted, loaded information. And I feel this is probably the real answer. I did not like being vulnerable and being an artist and being such an honest artist and putting so much of myself on stage has forced me to be, be vulnerable with large amounts of people all the time. And that is actually also what Curse of Creativity, which is the song that follows the L word is about, is like being vulnerable with people who you don't know. Um, and that's pretty much forced me to the, uh, to be that way with the people who are closest to me. I'm like, if I can be so vulnerable with um uh, like people in the audience, why can't I tell that to like people I love? You know, I really should be able to do that. So you feel oh, that's more dangerous. You think so? <laughs> oh yes. You know, uh, one thing struck me as I was reading uh, some of the essays you'd sent over. Mm-hmm. Um, the words from your mother stick with you yeah. uh, because you keep bringing them up. Same with me. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, there's a connection that we have there. Uh, I think your mother is very intuitive. I have a, a feeling, especially mm-hmm. about her children. And she would hit you with certain things and certain information that you would like to not believe, but you know that she's nailing it. True. And one of the things my my mother left me, and it's always stuck with me, is, Tom, whenever you write a note to any of your girlfriends, never use the L word in print. (laughs) So, I mean, do you feel then like... um you're less self-repressed than you used to be. Because, I mean, not being able to tell someone you love them, especially if you have feelings for them. I mm-hmm. mean, talk about repression. Yeah. So you feel like this project has maybe made you be less repressed? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because now there's an outlet for it, right? There didn't used to be an outlet for it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know how to express any of, uh, of the stuff, and I didn't think it was appropriate to express a lot of the stuff. And now I have the ability to talk about it. And in a way that actually is very cathartic because I have a lot of energy on stage and I, you know, put my body into it. I jump around, I run around and I like yell at people. Um, and so that part of it is cathartic too. It's physical catharsis plus mental catharsis. So I feel like just by that, I've become a lot more expressive and also more comfortable with vulnerability than uh, I ever used to be. Uh, one of the reasons I never told people I loved them was also a cultural difference. This is really interesting. Um, in East Asia, there's this thing called confession um in japanese it's called kokuhaku and basically it's, it's this concept that if you have a crush on someone you need to tell them how you feel like confess your feelings and then you need to start going out exclusively like there isn't like it, it isn't even like oh i'll ask you on a date and if it doesn't go well after three dates then like it's okay it's like you put your entire heart on the line for someone else and they take it or leave it and like if they leave it that is a rejection of your person so i was so scared to like you know yes. tell people feel it's it's really serious in Asia, whereas in here, you can just kind of ask people out on a date, and if it doesn't, you know, work out, and it, th- then it's not a big deal. It's not like a rejection of your person, you know, and I've, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with that, just like in my personal life as well. In 2018, you released an album documenting some of this despair yeah. <laughs> called Raging Ego. Yep. And um, you've described your own ego as being raging. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything more to say about your ego? Because like your ego is like the thesis statement of this album. Your ego, like basically this album is however many tracks it is. And it's like the the ego is like the, uh, you know, it's like the main highway. And each song we're like getting off on this exit of the ego. And then we're going to get off on this, you know, so you kind of address like how it affects you, the artist. Mm -hmm. You address how it affects you, the lover. You address how it affects you, the child. Yeah. It's a a fascinating piece in that way. So is there anything to say just broadly about your ego and time you've spent with it? I'm super impressed because like very few people have picked up on the nuances of that. Like uh, it's. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed at myself for having been able to like craft it into a kind of cohesive project, but like that is, that is what, that is the goal that I wanted this project to be is even though they're all about different things, the thesis statement is like the one thing that ties it together. It's about how my ego affects personal relationships, my career, you know, childhood. In the song Artist Anthem, mm. 
which I believe you played tonight. I did. You return to the line, oh, I need professional help. I'm an artist and I hate myself. Yeah. Do you feel like that still applies in this modern day for you? Uh, the origin of this song is... Um, something that someone I was seeing at the time said said to me like he he told me that he 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 could tell that I hated myself in some ways <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I think that sounds like a really good chorus <laughs> and, did you like it when he told you that um I think it was a moment of honesty yeah it was a moment that made me realize that yeah I, I I do hate myself in some ways but again I can spin it into a positive and fun thing even if it's true we tend to not like to hear something like that I wish I had recording of that conversation <laughs> it's like telling somebody that you purportedly love me like yeah, yeah I think you I think you kind of hate yourself. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine that the first time you heard that, that was a that was a great thing to hear. But it did make a song, and so there we have it. It made one of my one of the songs that I think has like the longest legs. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like people really like it. They love yelling it, yelling along to it, and they really, really relate to it because I think. Uh, another part of I am an artist and I hate myself is you can hate your work a lot, even if when you're making it, it's great. Or when you perform it uh, one time, you th you think it's great. Another time you can look at your video and be like, ah, like, what do I sound like that? So you can go back and forth between liking your own work and hating your own work very quickly as an artist. And I think a lot of artists, whether you're a visual artist or musical artist, theater artist, film artist, you can relate to that a lot. And I think a lot of people have that love-hate relationship with their own work and also with themselves, but tied to their work, which is why I say I'm an artist and I hate myself. Uh, I just have, you know, one other question about the song. Sure. We don't have to include it. You can call, you can ask it. But, you know. I'm, I'm really enjoying you know, this. You know, you explore a connection in this song about being an artist and enjoying rough sex. <laughs> I somehow knew that that was the question that you're going to ask. And I mean, well, I mean, you know, it, it jumps out. Yeah. yeah. I actually think, um, so to clarify, <laughs> uh, the connection is not between being an artist and liking rough sex. Yeah. It's between hating yourself and having rough sex. Uh, yes. But also, if A equals B <laughs> and B equals C, then A equals C. What is that called? That's, That's a transitive tra property, my transitive friend. Transitive property. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, but are we there with this? <laughs> we absolutely are. Because if I'm an artist and uh -huh. I hate myself, uh -huh. and I hate myself, therefore you hate yourself, and I enjoy rough sex, uh, therefore, then I'm an artist, <laughs> and I like rough sex. Yeah, but like co correlation is not causation, you know. <laughs> no, but in this yeah, case, right. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, but okay, yeah. Um, but well, you tell me. Obviously, there is a <laughs> higher percentage of people in the BDSM community who are also involved in artistic pursuits. But like, yeah. I, I don't know. Again, correlation does not equal causation. I don't know if it's just a correlation or if they are artistic. Therefore, that means that they're actually they're artistic means they're more likely to be, be open minded. Open and minded. it also means that they're more likely to be open minded about sex. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. Experiment. Experiment. yeah. Open experience. Yeah. Uh, open openness to new experiences. Are you familiar with ocean at all? Um, the big five. No, tell us all about it. Okay, so it's a cycle. It's the um, it's the most reliable test retest psycho psychological uh, personality uh, assessment. So O, uh, so all the um, oh. it's five letters. Ocean O is openness to experience. C is conscientiousness. E is extroversion. A is uh, agreeableness, and N is neuroticism. So everyone is um, analyzed beta on each of these parameters, so to speak. And you can be like high in openness and low in neuroticism. So that means like, you know, you like to explore a lot of things and you're also not plagued by anxiety. Um, or you can have like both be high and like, you know, just different levels of each of the different uh, parameters. And that determines like, you know, how likely you are to pursue certain hobbies or certain careers and things like that. So um, it is a psychologically proven test as opposed to um, the Myers-Briggs, which is also something that I enjoy doing. But if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, like it's four letters. It's E. Uh, um, again, it's God. I think this is too much to go into. No, Maybe it's I not because know. I have a follow up question. I want to hear the four. Yeah. letters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK, so it's um, there are 16 total personality types um, as opposed to just like the different the five different parameters um, in Ocean. So the Myers-Briggs MBTI, um, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator is a psychological examination 
um, that hasn't been proven to be test-retest consistent, um, but it is commonly used to determine what kinds of careers you should pursue. And so um, each of these parameters has two different sides. So um, the first parameter is E versus I, so extroversion versus intuition. Uh, Sorry, extroversion versus introversion. So are you extroverted or introverted? Do you get energy from people or do you lose energy from people? I think that's an important definition. I feel like they should teach that in like basic classes because people have different definitions of those two words. But yeah. that's a very interesting summed up way, but please continue. Oh, yeah, for sure. I agree with you in that some people think it's like, oh, are you outgoing? Not necessarily. Like, I can be outgoing, but I can be drained by people. So exactly. I will say I'm slightly more extroverted than introverted, but it really is about wh- whether you get energy from people or you lose energy yeah. from people. So let's yeah. go through all the Myers-Briggs stuff, sure. and then I've got some questions for sure, you. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me just burn through it really quick. Yeah. Um, that is N versus S. So intuitive versus sensing. Intuitive versus sensing broadly is um, N is intuitive. It's big picture. Do you see the big picture? And do you like kind of um, uh, think about, uh, yeah, do you see the big picture? Let's say big picture. S, um, do you see the, do you see the, shit, sorry. Let me start this over again. Yeah. N is, do you see the big picture? And do you think about big concepts? S is do you see the small details? Uh, So it's like forest versus trees. T versus F, easy, thinking or feeling. Is your primary mode of processing information through thoughts or through feelings? And P versus J, judging versus perceiving. Judging means you're very organized and you like to have a plan. P means you go with the flow and you're more spontaneous and you're more an improviser. So going by all of these, I am an ENTJ, which means I'm extroverted, intuitive thinking and judging. And that can tell you a lot about my personality. It's not accurate because it is it hasn't been scientifically proven. But a lot of businesses will tell you that it's a great way to analyze someone's personality. And personally, I think it's a good way to predict someone's personality as well. What about on the ocean ranking? Do you remember your rankings on those? I think I don't exactly remember, but I can kind of just tell based on... Um, what they mean. So ocean, oh, openness to experience, very high. Well, I mean, look, <laughs> look at the topic, the goddess here. Exactly. Yeah. C, conscientiousness. I don't exactly remember what this means, uh, but I think it, it, it pertains to how careful you are and how, how much you adhere to rules. And I think I'm slightly lower in that one. Yeah. Um, e, extroversion, high. Mm-hmm. A, agreeableness. That's, this is how like nice and like friendly and happy you seem to be. On the lower side, although I'm pretty happy, but I can get very irritable. Absolutely. Pretty easily. And N, high. I'm very high. Neuroticism, I experience like depressive and anxious symptoms quite often. So yeah. Your follow-up question. Go ahead. Oh, I was just curious what your rankings were. I mean, yeah. And I mean, your your high ranking on O suggests to me that the rough sex thing was more of an autobiographical observation. Um, But yeah, actually, um, to wrap this whole topic up, remember how I said that this um, this song was inspired by someone I was seeing who told me that I hate myself. Yeah. He specifically said, yeah, you do this and you this, you do this and you also like rough sex. So therefore you must hate yourself. (laughs) And this is not something that I've shared in yeah. any podcast so well, it's good. true this I is do the exclusive like it, <laughs> Lex the Lexicon artist uh, fan club only version there we go yeah well thank you for the openness the exclusive actually thank you for the exclusive on that you're welcome um yeah, well, I think actually that provides better context because if he had just out of context said, yeah, I see that you hate yourself, it makes mm-hmm. a lot less sense. But yeah. here he, he provided a well-reasoned argument mm-hmm. and you agreed. Yeah. And then you wrote into a song. And then I put it in a song. A real banger. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and we can assume he limped away that night or? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, it just depends. We don't need to go into the specifics of who. <laughs> but I, you know, that's very, very progressive, Tom. You have a song called Luther on this album. Sure. And you've said that some of your friends heard this song and were disturbed by how angry and violent it was. <laughs> and so I'm curious, um, how does that present itself in this song? I don't know. I still don't know how to feel about this song, even though I wrote it and produced it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't produce it. I, I, I wrote it, and then I had my friend who is local Bay Area-based. His name is uh, Wrong Sounds. Uh, he produced like an industrial-style sound track for me. And I really like industrial music, so I really like how this song turned out. But you're pissed off in this song. I am pissed off in this song. I am pissed off at a former friend 
who um, thought that she knew what was best for me, but didn't. And I kind of channeled the rage of Lex Luthor into the song. And I was very angry at the time. And I was angry at her, and I was angry at being misunderstood. And I was angry at people being presumptuous over what they thought was best for me. And I was angry at people betraying me. So uh, I was put she, all that in the song. Was she the only betrayer, or were there multiple betrayers? Uh, I've been betrayed, and I have also been the betrayer. Yeah. Um, she wasn't the only one who betrayed me. I also channeled a lot of betrayals in middle school. Yeah. During that time I transferred schools, I was part of a group of friends who I was trying to climb like the social ladder. I talk about a little bit about this in mistakes, but I was trying to climb the social ladder and I, was, I went from like this group to the other group. I betrayed this first group to go to the other group and then they betrayed me. It's Game of Thrones. I know. <laughs> so the the rage was also directed at them, but I think it was just a weird little way of kind of combining this. Oh, um, uh, Lex Luthor's uh plot to take over the world, and also Lex Luthor's perspective of like what he believes is right, which may not necessarily be right. Like people see the side of Superman, right? Like people are like, oh yeah, Superman's a cultural icon; he's the best. But like, what about? Lex Luthor's side of the story. So that's 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 what inspired me to write this song. <laughs> you mentioned something to me earlier, Tom Gaffey, uh, about the middle school references. Yeah. And the psychology. Well, all right. So here's the thing. I think you look back at it. It's almost the game of, God, I wish I'd, I wish I'd said this as opposed mm. to that. But at the same time, a couple things are happening in junior high. Although... Uh, it was, I imagined it differently when I, when I read your account of it, uh, a lot of times when a kid doesn't want to get paired with someone, when, when a kid is trying to be a social climber in junior high, Mm. he's afraid not so much of having a bad time with you. He's afraid of being found out himself for being exactly that freak that he is accusing you of being, I can't be seen with this person. I yeah. can't have that connection made. Yeah. And because a lot of junior high boys in particular, mm-hmm. well, and the girls as well, feel they maybe even are part of that crew, but they're holding on for dear life. Yeah. And it's a struggle. It's it, it being Allowing yourself to be an individual, save yourself some stress. But then it comes to now here you are as the adult. You made the statement, statement um, I wish that kid would see me now. Who do you think, who, which kid do you wish would see you now? You, the seventh grade girl, or him, the seventh grade boy? Oh, wow. I wish both of them could see me. Uh, some of my music, Luther included, and also Peep Game, is kind of fueled by this this desire to prove the haters wrong and to prove the people in my past who doubted me to prove to them that I am successful now, but I wish that my younger child self could see like what she would someday become because she was very down on herself and she didn't um, believe that people liked her. She didn't think that, you know, she had any friends and she didn't think that people wanted to spend time with her out of anything other than pity. And now look at me. Um, people do want to spend time with me. And I realize that a lot of people do and genuinely appreciate what I have to offer. Um, and I don't think I would have been able to believe that uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, because you yourself were a hater, but in a different way. I hated myself. You did. Yeah. 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 And that was kind of like what you were getting at. Yeah, that is that is the point. I, Absolutely. I, I see so much self-loathing uh, when I'm working with the kids down here at times. Yeah. And you just want to get to them and say, don't, man. Love yourself. One of the last songs on this album is called Mistakes. Sure. Seems like this song in the essay that you wrote about it that you sent to us is, is like a request for those close to you to keep you in check. Yes. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah. I actually wrote another song about that that isn't on this album. It's called Narcissist. Yeah. And the song is about how if people keep saying nice things about me, but don't really mean it, if people keep saying, oh, I love your music. That was so good. Great performance. Blah, 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 blah. But they don't tell me when I'm doing bad things and they just keep enabling me, then I'm going to end up an actual narcissist. I'm actually going to self-sabotage myself. And I need people around me to tell me when I'm messing up. 
Yeah. Because I guess you, you need to like force positivity sometimes when you're feeling down. You got to like lift yourself up. You know what I mean? But that has its trade-offs because if you start to believe that you're great all the time, there are times when you're actually not being maybe morally great. So yeah. it, it's kind of a, a difficult thing. Being an artist is difficult. Because there are times when you wake up and maybe you don't want to go play a show or you feel like, you know, imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, one of those things that yeah. I think any artist could identify with. It's more common with people who are bilingual or more. Really? Oddly enough. I don't really know how this works, but they've done a study that shows that if you if you use, like, obviously being bilingual or trilingual or multilingual makes you activate different parts of your brain. And apparently the patterns of those activation are correlated to having higher levels of imposter syndrome. Huh. So people who are monolingual generally like don't experience that as much. And I don't really know why this is, but I speak two languages na natively. So it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about the universal, universal experience of an artist. I think imposter syndrome is almost across the board. Yeah. I mean, unless you're actually a total narcissist. <laughs> Truly. I mean, I think that it, it requires a level of uh, inner propulsion to sometimes get through that. But you want to make sure you're being like aware about being in check in other parts of your life. And it yeah. seems like that's what you're trying to channel in this. Yeah. Song. I don't know if I gave a good explanation of it. No, you, yeah, you. Um, did that kind of like match up with how how like you would describe it, Jim? Oh, absolutely. Uh -huh. I, I mean, I relate to that song less in how it comes in the song and more just from my own experience yeah. of like trying to do new things. And, you know, you wake up some mornings and you feel like, ugh, I don't know, should I even be doing this? But because, you know, if you are driven enough and you have a desire to just get up and go and do things, you have to push yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find, um, I find that there's like a correlation for me between like how, nice and empathetic I am mm -hmm. and like how much I'm just like just fucking getting stuff done and when I'm like powering through and making major progress sometimes on things that have taken a lot of time and energy to get to yeah I find when I'm just like feeling like I am the fucking king <laughs> I feel like those are periods if I'm being honest where sometimes I'm less empathetic when yeah. I have maybe less time for someone that would maybe need my time in a down moment and that is where this song really touched me because um, I think that it, it, there's overlap there. Like I need to be put in check in those moments. Like mm -hmm. my stuff is not the most important thing in the world. Maybe I needed to uh, be that way in order to make movement, but I got to learn how to downshift so that I can be where I need to be for all the relationships in my life. That's that's pretty common, I think, with all of us. Yeah. That's down here. Uh, at the Phoenix Theater. To yeah, the, uh, all the Nerdcore <laughs> listeners out there. The, Phoenix. I, I, the I, community I, center that Tom runs. Luckily, because I am dealing with a lot of teenagers, they, they have a natural way of putting you in check. Mm. Uh, but I will tell uh, most kids, once they start becoming regulars here, look, here's the deal. I want to be here when you need me. Uh, so if it feels like I'm not paying attention, you can tell me, get out of yourself. I need to have you now. And uh, that's what it takes sometimes. That's a visual check or, I mean, a, a check that, you, that you're allowing someone to take on you. That is and, so good that you're offering that for people who, like, probably need someone in a lot of points in their life and like need someone to guide them so it's really great that you're doing this I think down here we all need that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and i don't know i mean you know we have varying ages across the table here but i feel like it's one of those things that you don't necessarily get better at but you can develop better systems uh yeah. to be better at. like i don't think you become natural at least for me i mean i i, I I'm in my mid thirties. I don't feel like I'm naturally more inclined to <laughs> shy away from this behavior, but I do feel like at least there are like better controls that I can institute in my life. Like you just described like the ultimate control, yeah. which is like, Hey, if I'm being an asshole yeah. and or you need I'm, me, if I don't see you, if I, yeah, if I'm in my own world, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Being an asshole was just me. Well, no, that's, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, well, as you know, <laughs> uh, I do enjoy being an asshole. Yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> To be a star, to do something that is very difficult, that requires 100% of your being, you need to be the asshole. I mean, your, your album is yeah. full of that. Yeah. Your album is full of cases where you were being an asshole for one reason or another. Yeah. 
because you felt in that moment, whether it was for your music or whether it was for your personal development or whether it was for your development of, you know, whatever, you behaved in a way that you look back on and you're like, hmm. Wish I hadn't behaved in that way. <laughs> I don't and, actually come off very sympathetic in this album, do I? <laughs> well, no, but that's but that's not oh, the you point. Come off as honest, but that's oh, yeah. yeah that's... I guess that brings us back even to the beginning of this conversation, which is like, what are the parts of me that I can't share in my normal life that I bring to the project? Yeah. And it's like it's this. It's moments where I like felt like I needed to be the asshole or I wanted to be the asshole but it was the wrong decision and like to hide from that or to deny that I did it would be a disservice because I did it and it hurt people and I acknowledge that I hurt people but in the process of acknowledging it I can maybe not make it better but like at least make sure that I don't do that again Again. our our lives are full of those things I I think to be paralyzed with self-loathing and uh and uh, regret is not necessarily the way to process those things, you know, to just yeah. to stop doing things because you feel bad about stuff that you did before, I think does yourself a disservice. I think it's good to reconcile. It's good to be honest with yourself. And this album is you trying to do all those things. You're, you're not yeah. like making excuses necessarily. You're saying, yeah, I did those things. I'm not proud of them, but I'm trying to be a better person. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I can be a bit egotistical sometime, but Hey, guess what? To be a star, you got to have a little bit of ego. Yeah, well, I think to true. be a human, you need to have some ego, though, don't you? Well, you you have to recognize your own value at the very yeah. least, and you need to not have people step on you, yeah. and you need to realize your own worth, and you need to establish your own worth so that other people can see your value. Because if you don't see your value and you don't deliver your value, then you know how can you expect anyone else to? Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a really great way to wrap up discussion of the album. Do you have anything to say, Lex, before we, we wrap the whole thing up? Honestly, this has been a super enlightening conversation for myself and hopefully for both of you, too. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed um, Absolutely. just the whole process. I feel so much more prepared to do my little pilgrimage in Austin now just cool. because I had the chance to talk to both of you. And just to wrap things up, both of you really, really did your research, and I can tell that you like read the essays. You um, were asked just such incisive questions, really like what we what, what what did you call them like hardballs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Some hard hitting <laughs> questions, some hardballs, absolutely. And that made me really question myself, and I can't wait to listen back on it oh, and cool. see what new insights I can pull from it because this was a intense psychoanalytical experience for hopefully all three of us. So yeah, thank yeah, you so is. much for creating oh, for a coming. safe environment where we can talk about all this stuff, and I hope it was insightful for you too. Gosh, thank you. Thank Thank you. you, Thank you. Thank you for making the trip from Oakland uh, on the eve of your trip to Austin. And, you know, I've listened to your music a lot today and I'm a big fan of it. And I'm looking forward to what you make in the future. It's more fun to see live, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah. (laughs) And that's such a great lead in, Tom, to the last thing that I have to say, which is and now a performance by Lex, the Lexicon artist. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you.
weekend all the way to Monday. My game is colorful, blue, pink, and yellow. Treat me like a teaser and give me them peeps marshmallows. Maybe you can bring your peeps to the show. Cause I got so much game to peep and I want people to know. I just bring the heat and they eat it up like pizza to go. In a minute I'm drowning in it, I'll be deep in a duck. Let's go. My game is exhibitionist, peep it like your time. My game is like my laptop, peep it like my mom. My game is different in the field full of sheets that pop to the stage and give it a little bo peep. Uh, yeah, I'm like flex to your brainiac. You look a little green in the face of megalomaniac. Staring in the box like my game's a peep show. I'm breaking out the status of my raging ego. So if you're doing something different and they call you a freak because you're making people listen when you're rocking a beat, say peep game, peep game, peep game, peep game, peep game. on stage and that's the magic and the curse of creativity you get to treat your demons but you need to do it visibly weaving all your misery with deep poetic imagery and woefully bear your soul the limit is your dignity let them into private worlds with something so public open my veins with every song promoted and published take all the things that make me sick to my stomach and shove it into the crowd in hopes that somebody will love it and maybe that's you maybe that's who i dedicate this track to maybe that's you don't mean to distract you, but I would rack on my brain in the rap for a chance to attract you. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's who I dedicate this track to. Maybe that's you. Don't mean to distract you, but I would rack on my brain in the rap just to have you. I remember when I first saw you play, and your electrifying stage presence took my breath away. Your music spoke to me more than my words could ever say. Ever since then, I've been thinking about you every day. I started looking into your discography. To get a glimpse into your thoughts and ideology Thoughtfully articulated rhyme, brutal honesty I felt like I was reading your autobiography With every track I was exploring your brain Inhabiting your every pleasure and absorbing your pain I know that all your other listeners have felt like this too But I'm privileged to have shared something special with you And it's because you cut your veins and all of the above Sounds insane, but I think I'm musically in love And you should know that I don't like that word Which I mentioned in the song that you might have heard huh. And maybe that's you Maybe that's who I dedicate this track to Maybe that's you Don't mean to distract you But I would rack on my brains in the rap For a chance to attract you Maybe that's you Maybe that's who I dedicate this track to Maybe that's you Don't mean to distract you But I would rack on my brains in the rap what do you do when your most secret intent is also the thing you share to your social media friends? What do you do when your confessional medium's the subject of public scrutiny cause everyone's seeing it? Could I learn to live with it the way you do? And all the other ones who may have paved the way for you? I know you well enough to say that this was made for you. No bravado, no pretense, just the naked truth for you. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's who I gotta get distracted to. Maybe that's you. Don't mean to distract you But I would rack all my brains in the rap For a chance to attract you Maybe that's you Maybe that's who I better get distracted to Maybe that's you Don't mean to distract you But I would rack all my brains in the rap Just to have you Maybe that's you Maybe that's who I better get distracted to Maybe that's you Don't mean to distract you But I would rack all my brains in the rap For a chance to attract you Maybe that's you Maybe that's who I dedicate this track to Maybe that's you Don't mean to distract you But I would crack on my brains in the rap Just to have you Aw yeah, I am an artist I am free I am an artist 
artist, it's all about me. I write my own songs and I'm doing it well. I'm an artist and I hate myself. I wake up in the morning and I wish I was dead. It's taking all my motivation just to get out of bed. I'm so high, living like a million dollars of debt. You don't become an artist till you're acting the head. So don't believe me when I say I'm fun. I live in tragedy all the time. And it's easy when I don't know why I put my sanity on the line. And all my empathy has all but died. I can't remember how to cry. But to see me when I'm on the mic, just know I'm bleeding deep inside. And I said, oh, I need professional help. Don't believe. 